Three, two, one, go. Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Cafe Booleans this week. <laughs> Here with our usual friends, with Alex, with Susie, with Costa. Uh, don't know if anyone else is joining tonight, but if anyone walks through that door, they're very welcome. <laughs> tonight we're talking, I mean today, whenever you're listening to it, we're talking about uh, minimalism in game design and subtractive design or sometimes called design by subtraction. Um, I guess these are two different things, but I think they're very linked in the kind of minimalism uh, concept. But let me just quickly give an overview. Uh, when we talk about minimalism, we're essentially talking about stripping back things to their core parts and making it how do you express the most or create the most or the most effective experience with the least amount of assets or the least amount of gameplay or however you want to kind of interpret that. Um, and if we look at uh, design by subtraction, that's actually a term that is kind of like minimalism. Uh, and it comes from the creator of uh, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus, if you've ever played those games. It was kind of a design philosophy uh, that they used uh, when designing those games. And kind of the idea is that you think about what is your core kind of like gameplay elements or your themes or well, what is the core of your game and then you kind of relentlessly strip back <laughs> features and everything until you kind of have a game that is incredibly focused at um, expressing that thing. Um, one, one reason I wanted to talk about this is because I personally, like that whole kind of philosophy resonates with me in a lot of creativity. Um, I personally find it's like, it is a really good way to kind of focus your energy so you can try and do more with less. Um, and especially in like uh, the industry of like, making video games where feature creep and scope creep is rampant and a huge pandemic. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's it's useful discussing these things. So Make sure um, you get your scope creep booster shot, everybody. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So um, I, I know Costa's got a whole lot of uh, things here to look at, but I guess just before we jump to that, I just wanted to know, um, have any of you guys... Um, used minimalism in game design or creative design or anything like that? Um, I remember when... Oh, I don't know if this counts. I mean, maybe it counts. Like my first ever games I would make, uh, I'd make them with Jed. Well, yeah, it was... Uh, we do it inside of PowerPoint. Like it was oh. games that could only be done by... Like first it was just, you know next back and like progressive things but then it was like you know you select certain items so kind of like a granny's garden kind of thing yeah but it because you would say like separate links link off to separate um screens uh so like you'd have these this is like back in 2003 or something so you'd have these because i didn't know there were game engines and stuff like that so you would have like uh, for example, you'd have a dark room, but if you collected the matches, then it would take you to the set of slides that are lit. Um, and otherwise, it would just take you to like a black room and like you would just be feeling oh, around awesome. and, stuff and, and stuff like that. So I don't know if that kind of counts, yeah. but that's probably the most minimal I've gone. It's just th game through hyperlink. I mean, I guess you're making a point and click adventure then. Yeah. Uh, Choose your own adventure kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So I guess like. I guess in some ways, uh, when we talk about the minimalist design, it's more probably about the product itself than the process for making it, if that makes sense. So, yeah. um, I can't think of the name of the game, but um, 
someone showed me like a web-based platformer game the other day, which is just like two colors, pixel art, uh, and the pixel art's pretty much stick figures and stuff like that. Um, but they somehow made, you know, an immersive experience with like the most stripped back assets. That's cool. That's cool. And like if you think I mean, about it, can... it, right, like, yeah. like if we look at like the game design tetrad, like aesthetics, tech, mechanics, and story, like if we're looking at like that really, really base game design, what we're looking at is the mechanics, right? So we're saying, what is your game mechanic and how do you demonstrate it? So stuff like that's like, like if you look at early prototypes of things, they'll be closer, I think, generally to that minimalist design idea because they're clearly communicating that key mechanic. And like in game design teaching, like when we ask students, what is your game? What are you communicating? What is the mechanic? What is the interactivity? Like that's what we want to see, right? Like not not aesthetics and not those other things, although they're like super cool in that, that early stage. So I think what I'm trying to say or what I'm getting at is it seems like the stripped back minimalist design is you can do that when you've got a really cool or really powerful core mechanic that that's what you're trying to highlight. And that approach probably does like immerse you in that mechanic because those other things are a little bit more subdued. Yeah. Okay. So, so like, what what would be one where you you t you take away like a game that exists, but you take away one kind of thing and it turns it into a minimal thing? Well, so uh, I mean, if we look at the uh, the game Ico, which is uh, the YouTube video that I sent you guys earlier, uh, was talking about design by subtraction in Ico. Um, they they're saying that this is, I guess, a minimalist game, or at least designed by subtraction in that. Uh, one one of the choices they made was that your character can't die, even though you're like going around and fighting enemies uh, to protect. Kind of, you're this little boy, and you're kind of protecting this woman. I actually haven't played it myself, but um, I've seen it. Uh, but yeah, the fact that they made the choice to take away you being able to die was based on that they felt like your character dying didn't add anything to that core experience and the core kind of theme which was yeah. you're protecting the woman mm. and whereas the woman uh i don't know if she dies but she can get abducted by these kind of shadowy monsters and so that that's kind of the lose mechanic there is that she gets abducted so does that make sense it's kind of like because we kind of take it for granted that your player can die in like almost any game so it's kind of like starting from that point of what is common game experience and then stripping away. Yeah. Cause like so it's in most like games, what's core... sorry, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say, yeah. So it's like, what's core and like, if it's not core to the experience or to the narrative or to the gameplay, then just strip it. Even if it's something mm -hmm. that maybe it's like common to, to have in a game. Yeah. Cause like, if you think about most games, the goal of most games that we play is to stay alive. Right, like every single yeah. platformer, like usually the goal is stay alive so you can keep playing, overcome the obstacles to keep playing, stay alive. But in, in Ico, that's not the goal. The goal is to keep her alive. She's the one that needs to get to the end. So if you yeah. kill, if, if the player character could die, it's like, okay, that's like whatever, that's not working towards the gameplay goal. So that's, that's why it's a really cool design, like really good design because all of the things in the game, like all of the mechanics work towards that core gameplay goal. Mm. Mm. It's interesting because I, I was thinking about this and looking at 
games that I play and like definitely a lot of games I play aren't minimal but I also Shadow of the Colossus is one of my favorite games ever uh, because I think they stripped it back but then the stuff they left in they just did so well um, and if you haven't played it it's kind of you the whole game the only enemies you fight are these I think it's 16 huge type, like gargantuan bosses and the rest of the game between that is essentially riding your horse through the countryside or like forests and deserts and stuff to get to those bosses which sounds boring in theory but like when you actually play it it's like such a immersive experience um and so much of it is like <laughs> yeah i'm saying this being a video game composer but like they took out the music for pretty much every place in the game except for when you're fighting those bosses <laughs> so you're just kind yeah. of like <laughs> riding through and it's really effective or you just hear like the ambience and stuff like that and it's just uh yeah it's incredibly effective mm. when do you reckon uh like it feels like if you think chronologically, it's almost like minimal game design is like going on a diet, right? So yeah. as if to say like, we've, we've made these games over time that have become so bloated that we want to strip things back. We want to, you know, see if we can, can do it. When do you reckon that first started, right? Because like if you look at like, you know, like that whole thing about Mario Brothers is like 30 kilobytes, right? Yeah. Like the, if you take a screenshot of Mario Brothers, it's now more higher in file size than the actual game yep, yep but you would say that's a full game like you wouldn't really think of that really as a minimal game because it has kind of everything it needs power-ups you know dev stuff like that yeah so so like if technology isn't a limit we've always kind of had that i wonder when when you could point like the first yeah I mean, that'd be hard but, but the thing is yeah, like the, what you, at the time that wasn't a uh that wouldn't have been a, a minimal feat to create that game and it's interesting exactly. like yeah, yeah, and I can see where you're coming from. It's kind of as technology, uh, you know, the the use of it, and and it becomes easier to make a game. Is it uh, what what is it that's that's minute like minimalist design? Yeah, it's is like that, going uh, back to irrespective of technology. So it's yeah. going back to like mm. what good design was when there wasn't much, like space, yeah. right? Like like what can you yeah, do? Totally. What's creative? How do you embody that mm. idea in? this many bytes <laughs> yeah it's kind yeah. of like it's kind of like the technology uh being i th I, I would say because i in this article that i'll go through of like the min like some minimalist games that it says mm. every developer should take inspiration from um one of the things that it mentions is how that kind of approach is really good for uh like budding developers so you know people who say are just beginning or they have you know a small team um, but I'm I'm interested to to know if that's like a, a resources thing because just like you mentioned, Susie, when they did Super Mario Brothers, that was a a game that you know in a time where they didn't have much, let's say, technology to work with or you know things to work with, so they they had to make it uh, the the most basic and the the most fun and exciting with what they had. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like minimalist through the through the lens of they didn't have much to work with or they didn't have much resources so they had to be better with design yeah mm. i think like um like for like teaching game design like what i try and do is or what we try and do is separate those tetrad elements and say when you're focusing on mechanics 
that's when you should really be focusing on those core mechanics of your game. And I think what the minimalist design does is it makes the designer focus on those so that those mechanics that they choose and that they use and that they foster and that they bring through in those other elements are the core ones. And only because they've taken that time to really nail those down and study those and test those and make sure that they embody that key narrative element or those the, the key story or, or whatever it is that they're focusing on running throughout the, the game, only because they've done that can that game be as strong as it can be because otherwise you're just going to go, Oh, that's a cool mechanic. I'll put that in. But unless you sit there and, you know, meditate on every single thing you're going to put in, is this the best way of communicating my message? Is this the gameplay? Mm -hmm. Does this work towards my gameplay goal? A hundred percent. You're going to end up with feature creep, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I could see that. Cause looking at the list of, um, there's like a list of games that Costa put up that are uh, minimal, super hot playing that i it didn't even occur to me until i saw that written that that's a minimal game but yeah because like the characters don't have faces they're just like these silhouettes and just it's all just for combat just but while you're in it it's as lean as it can get you know like yeah. um, should we go should costa go through that list just for our audience mm -hmm. yeah sure yeah um cool so i'll allow this you'll allow it <laughs> So it's broken up into classic minimalist games and then modern minimalist games. This is an article from a game developer, which I think was Gamer Sutra before. Um, and yeah, so the classic minimalist games are Pac-Man. Uh, so it's saying in this that the, the design of the characters is quite simple. The gameplay mechanics are straightforward and it's very easy to play. And despite that, it's still one of the, you know, it's like a really highly acclaimed uh, classic game and it's it's one of the kind of elements uh simple to play game is one of the elements of a minimalist game the other one is minesweeper uh being straightforward design so yeah pac-man easy to play minesweeper straightforward design um it does appear to be a minimalist game due to its straightforward design However, for most people, the gameplay proves to be quite challenging. I, I always found that game challenging. I have no idea how to play it. Mm. Um, I just randomly click on the board, and, and that's what it says here. <laughs> um, and it says, even experts of this game commit slight mistakes. And since there's no save feature, it's tough to complete a map, especially on hard mode. But again, that's a game that everyone, like, would you just intuitively know. You just click things on a, on a panel, even if it's not easy to play, like, and understand. Um, the other classic minimalist game is Pong, uh, and this is for familiarity. Uh, so again, that's like one of the earliest video games that, that came out. I think it was in the 70s. Uh, and it, again, it's just two paddles, and you bounce around uh, a ball from one side to another. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was quite a you know, simple um, and familiar game as well, because it was, it was just like tennis as well, and it was easy to understand. So yeah. Um, yeah, familiarity is another aspect that they're saying here is a is a aspect of uh, minimalism. Uh, in modern minimalist games, uh, Limbo with the consistent color palette. So this one you know, uh, got a lot of praise because of its aesthetic design and the simplicity of it. Uh, and it's a two D side scroller, and everything is I think it's everything's black and white and gray and kind of dark grayscale tones. Um, but it's again, it's limited in and consistent in the color palettes, uh, which again are characteristics of a minimalist game. 
Uh, it also features ambient sounds and a haunting environment which are presented throughout the game. And its unique puzzle and elements are things that they say developers can learn from this game. The other one is Thomas Was Alone, uh, The Simple Shapes. I haven't played this game, but uh, this is another puzzle platformer as well. Um, has anyone played that game? Yeah, it's pretty cute. <laughs> What's what, what? What would you say? It's it's saying simple shapes. I I don't understand the the context of it because I haven't played the game. All but. of the like the the characters like you're a little square and then you can become like a rectangle and then you can become a triangle and each of those shapes do different uh, things. So like if you want to get up the water, I think it's the rectangle you have to become because it can float and things like that. Mm, so you're you're changing you're changing the shape of the character yeah so i think you i think from memory you jump on a different shape and then you become that one or something like that like you embody okay. a different shape you know what i love i just went to google images to see what it looks like and yeah sure enough they're all just like squares yeah. colored squares and someone's made a fan art where they've turned them into actual people <laughs> but like people of the same color <laughs> there's another really cool that, game that uses that yeah. like simple shapes thing really well um and, like, that's a game that I was put in the first-year game design course for people to play, and it's called... Um, Is this the one where they have to put the shape in the hole? No. Um, this one, <laughs> it's called Loneliness. Yeah. And right. this, but that, that would be good. I should totally do that. That, that game's too hard for me. I can't, can't play that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, Loneliness. Yeah, this one's called Loneliness. And it's, um, it's by this guy named Jordan Magnuson. That's what I had to look up before. And um, it's... What it's... Like, what it is is you're this square... And you, it's like a flash game and you start at the bottom of a screen. It's all, it's gray. And then it's just, you're black. You're this little square yeah. and you control it with your keys. So you're WSDing up and down and you, you're starting to move above the top of the screen. And as you start moving, there's little groups of other squares of other shapes. Mm. And when you move towards right those other shapes, they disappear. They run away from you. I'm playing wow. the game right now. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, that's it. That's the whole game, right? That just that. That's it. <laughs> and it it gets Far the out. point of like people are they're running away from you and you're you're lonely. It feels bad, right? Yeah. Oh, no. It's like why are these people why why are they running away yeah, from you? Yeah, but they're just squares and you're just a square. Yeah. But it feels it feels wrong. Like it feels <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah. I I've got a friend who's working on a game at the moment. Um and it's a I think it's about, from my understanding, it's about kind of like social anxiety and mm. it's a similar concept, a little bit more graphical, but it's like pixel art. And when you get close to other people or other characters, like the screen shakes and like the uh, sides of the screen kind of like turn mm. black and it's just like, it's just like I just played um, the the alpha build of it the other day and I was like, I was amazed that just through kind of very simple visuals and very simple like screen shaking it actually just gives you that feeling of like tension of like anxiety when you're going mm. up to talk to someone so that's cool it's amazing what you can express yeah. just through so little yeah um these uh i'm looking through it as well the the thomas was alone in that that other one this is why ai will win <laughs> <laughs> this is why the machines win because they're like you know, they'd search through human history and be like, uh, or like human motives of what do we care about? You know, people and all that. And then we're like, no, 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 different shape rectangles. Like, don't hurt them either. And they're like, what? This is going to be easy. <laughs> um, 
Just continuing on the list, so we have Super Hot as well, which is the other one that Alex mentioned earlier, and this is around timing and strategy. Uh, and if for those who haven't played it, it's a first-person shooter game where the time only progresses when you move. Um, so aside from using weapons, the game allows players to manipulate time in which they can come up with the right timing and strategies to defeat the enemies. I love this game. Um, and the timing and strategy are the minimalist kind of elements uh, in that in that game. And they don't... And a lot of it is like... There's not many... I don't think there's any instructions or tutorials to understand that game. It's just like throws you in and then it gives you... It you know, gives you a gun or it shows you to like pick pick these things up and then you just kind of go from there because you see the uh, you see the the enemies coming at you so you just kind of have to act uh, intuitively from that and and even the design like the aesthetics of that is quite simple and uh, low fidelity. Uh, the last one is World of Goo through so it's learning through experimentation. So this game applies the real life physics and concepts to build structures using goo balls to complete a stage so the various types of goo balls each with different uh, abilities and with that you can learn uh, how to make structures out of the different um, goo balls by experimenting and combining their abilities uh, has anyone played that game i think i've played it like once but it's been Word of goo. yeah i played of the first couple levels but i'm not a big puzzle gamer so i gave up <laughs> um but yeah, that's that's another good one. The the interesting quote that I had from the article and what I kind of mentioned earlier was it says that for budding game developers, going for a minimalist game design is an ideal solution for a limited budget and tools. For established game developers, minimalism is the simplest path to follow since it provides the bare bones of a game. Once a game has a minimal art, sound, and mechanics, developers can slowly integrate more elements into the game while keeping the important aspects. And I thought that was really good, like way of summing up um, how you can use min- minimalism in game design. Yeah, that's cool. And that mm. way too, like if mm. you if you set your as a designer, if you set those like really core concepts that you need, like those really key mechanics, and you set that in your design doc or your bible or wherever you're writing that. And then, like, anything that you later do or you later add or, you know, like, you consult with the art team and they're like, let's add this really cool thing, like, you can make sure it doesn't get lost because it's so key. Mm. Like, everybody's mm. on board straight away about those those core things and you'll, you'll protect those then. Like, if somebody's like, oh, we should do this instead, it won't get lost because it's core. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's almost crucial for both small-scale and large-scale projects and just to have that really nailed down and refined. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to know like the process, if anyone's gone through it, of having the core gameplay and then kind of sh- like not ha- not adding more. Do you know what I mean? Like what's the is there a what's the mindset of like, oh, we could add this, but like is it too much? Like, is there a what's the thought process of that kind of um, yeah, yeah stripping it, things away? Does it bring so like that's that's a, like I did a really really small game for mod about um, the museum for about consent and relationships like a couple of years ago, and I don't I can't remember if anyone played it. Alex might have played it, but it had um, this really big focus on this core idea of you don't know what someone else is thinking. So like that was the the key the key thing, 
And like what essentially happened is you played the game through as one character and it was a dating simulator and you were trying to get a date. But then at the end of that game, it switched to the other character and you were just trying to make that character go away. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So it it saved the responses that you gave as the first player and then it played them back to you when you were the second player. Oh, wow. (laughs) So that that whole time, like that was the only thing that it wanted to communicate. So then anything that I added, so the visuals and the, the audio in everything and the type of dialogue that I added, every single thing that I was adding, I was like, does this communicate that idea? Does this indicate that? Does this do this? And anything that didn't, no, it's not going in. That can be in a different game. Yeah. I'll write it down. It's a cool idea, but it's not for this. Because mm-hmm. this has to be played like, by someone in five minutes. Like, that's so, it. Uh, is it. Is it is, like, is that, is it like uh, writing the constraints beforehand and being like five minute experience uh has to put like has to put forward this exact idea or with this feeling or you know what i mean like is it is it within a constraint that you have to set yourself in yeah well i don't think you have to have the constraints there but you do have to have your gameplay goal acting as a constraint so your gameplay goal is like getting that like for that game it was that idea that you know you can't you don't always know what somebody else is thinking be respectful about all that stuff about consent and distance and safety. But anything that was going in, does it indicate that? No, it's gone. Because that every every single tiny thing in that game had to go towards that idea. What do you guys think of um, now actually going back to what Alex was saying before about making the HTML games? Like one thing I do in some music that I make is like try to set a limit of how many instruments I'm going to use and those kind of... So we're talking about process now. Um, do you guys do that at all, and do you find it helpful? Um, I can't really speak to building a whole uh, game because I've only ever worked in teams and games, and never. But I can say with art, um, this thing I used to be when I had time to do. There's this art challenge on Twitter. I think they have a Discord now called Pixel Dailies. Oh yeah, and they would create like this is the closest thing I can relate to what you're saying about with music is they would sometimes give you a, every day there's a there's a prompt right like it might be like <clears throat> um sand or it might be you know um locking somewhere and then you make the art around it and sometimes yeah. you would get a restricted palette like, like you have to use only these four colors or oh, something yeah. like that that's cool so I did these series of like movie posters for Halloween last year that were using like a very select palette and I loved that so much. That was so satisfying uh, when you realize how much you can get away with mm. by just tricking them, like tricking the mind or letting, letting, letting you fill in the gaps kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, real like gestalt principle mm. design work and things like that. Like it was just, yeah, super satisfying. Uh, that's really cool. That's really and those cool. Were all nice yeah, they were Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's one thing I find helps me a lot with like when it comes to overwhelm. So like if I'm wanting to do something and I'm like finding myself overwhelmed with, you know, how big it could be or like I don't feel like I'm good enough to do it and all those kind of artistic creative doubts that we all get, I find that putting those creative constraints in place can help me a lot because yeah. then it makes mm. it feel a lot more, uh, I don't know whether it's like it feels more realistic or something like that. Yeah. Um, There's some really famous you- quote about that, like constraints. It's like 
without constraint the mind wanders like and you can't actually have yeah. true creativity because you just like you know it's, it's yeah. this too broad like you can think of anything in the whole world but when you've got the constraints you go oh now i'm creative because what can i do within this yeah, yeah. i i heard a uh, one composer called it like problem solving so it's like you're putting in some ways you're putting obstacles in front of yourself and then mm. it's less about having to do some great work of art and it's more about just solving the problem that's in front of you and then when you get it's to the end of it thinking. all you've created a piece of art <laughs> yeah i find like designing there's i you almost have to find what the constraints are like uh, yeah i'm talking yeah. from like a product design thing it's kind of like you're designing for an intended audience or whatever it is and you have to kind of find what the uh, the constraints are or the expected experience or outcome is and then you kind of build design towards that um and I, I find it hard going into like trying to create your own game uh when you you don't have those constraints because you're just like i can do anything and like yeah you know and and i've i find like I have to put them in place as well to be like, okay, I want to do a game that's in this genre about like maybe evokes this feeling or, um, you know, is 10 minutes of gameplay and and does this thing. So like I I find myself doing that now to, to make things a lot easier for me. Otherwise I'll just like never finish anything. Um, Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's an interesting one of like, having to be creative on your own or kind of designing to something and it's it's a very different mindset i find yeah well one thing that connects a lot of this together is i don't know if you guys have heard of uh fantasy consoles or there's one called the pico 8 which uh, i think it was an australian person made but it's essentially like uh it's like a ripoff of the old is it amiga uh pcs or computers i can't remember it slightly before my time but Oh, like Commodore 64 and stuff yeah. like yeah. that, where it's like old game consoles uh, that you had to kind of do a little bit of kind of like code to get things working. Inspired that by that, someone's made like a virtual one um, where you can both use it to play games, Pico 8 games that people have made and make your own. And all the tools for making the game are inside this virtual <laughs> console. It's all like pixel art and it's got like a sound editor. It's got like world editor and all that kind of stuff. Um but like that is almost that I guess in big parts nostalgia, but in also like minimal uh, design and minimal process all wrapped up into the same thing. I don't know if you guys have ever tried any of those. I I tried the free one, not Pico Tico T I C eighty. That's that's the other one I wanted to mention because it's kind of like an open source version of Pico eight. So Pico eight just I think came first and started that whole trend. And there's a number of them out now. So yeah, yeah. I tried that. I tried that for about a day of yep. like just messing with it, seeing what I could do. Yeah. Um, it's pretty pretty intuitive. Um. But just like with everything, you got to learn the the syntax and things like that. But even like the little sprite editor part on that, and the yep. and the, I'm sure you would have got a kick out of the the music and SFX tools you can do with it. Like it's really cool. Yeah, it, it's a it's amazing. I, I think what's really interesting to me is kind of how popular these things are getting. Uh, as in, like not mainstream, but if anyone's played like the game Celeste. Um, which was like one of the biggest platformers to come out in recent history. Uh, that started out as a Pico 8 game and they essentially just did the core mechanics of that and then found out that 
it was fun <laughs> and people <laughs> liked it. And so then they decided to turn it into a full game. Even, um, even uh, has anyone come across the Playdate handheld console? Playdate? You, you look look up the Playdate. I feel like that's a that's kind of a continuation or a. Um, oh wow! Uh, yeah, an embodiment of that kind of um, minimalism uh, and like really simple gameplay loops. They, oh, I've seen this with the crank. It's a it's a handheld uh, console, black and white, and it's got a crank on the side, and, and yeah. you kind of yeah. work that crank into the. Uh, into the gameplay loop, but uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty popular and it's it's interesting because these these really baked core you know these really kind of core pared down experiences um, yeah really interesting games people are experimenting I, a lot with it which is cool I, I thought that crank was like to power it or something I thought you just had yeah. to like I thought so originally crank. as well yeah that'd be beautiful <laughs> that's hilarious. But they've got an interesting. Uh, I love take. the first comment. The screen not being lit is odd to me. <laughs> yeah, but the, it's, like, just, it's like going back to like what a, what this a is Game clearly Boy. A, a Gen Z. Yeah, 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 you were born after yeah. Game Boy SP. Yeah, but, uh, Try the, playing one of those in the backseat on a ride home. Yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> angling it towards the streetlights as you go past. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they, they have an Made interesting uh, classic so many play. times. Yeah. <laughs> They have an interesting uh, like game. It's uh, kind of way the way they distribute the games. It's you, you set the play date up, and then you receive two games a week every week for twelve weeks. Oh wow! Yeah, so quite interesting. Well, I saw there's uh, is an analog pocket is another one. They people are basically remaking mm. the Game Boy Color, but it can also play like Game Boy Advance cartridges and stuff. And it's like. I've seen it mentioned in a lot of places. Just like, is it is it just nostalgia, uh, or is there like, are there actually a larger amount of good games back then? I don't know. Obviously, I'm blinded because I grew up as a kid then. But <laughs> there's a it, it's just I, I mean I I've, I think about this daily with like different kinds of um, things. Um, even like uh, my girlfriend going to the the Dua Lipa concert which is called like, what's it called? New nostalgia or like futuristic nostalgia, mm. which is just like what, what this current time is obsessed with. And it, it kind of, yeah. it's always been like that. And what I attribute it, not attribute it to, I should say, but whatever it is, it's when the technology kind of gets good enough that like, oh, how am I wording this? What it takes to build those things is like now like, so rudimentary right like yeah. um like uh like relating it back to like, i don't know like gardening right like you had to there was no industrial revolution or whatever at the time it was all what you grew is what you had maybe and you had markets and things like that but what you grew is what you had you couldn't store things all that kind of stuff now that the tech is to the point where that's all we rely on but now it, the technology is simple enough that anyone can have in their house the ability to grow their own stuff you know same as with game engines um so like these things that are coming out now that appear retro could not have worked back then like like uh their games on the that tic 80 for example that yeah. you could not have built because the way that yeah. sprite sheets worked meant you would block everything else out you could see that in the first generation of pokemon games like the trees there is yep. no grass texture behind trees because there's no layering and, yeah. and things like that yeah 
So it, it's cherry picking the best things of what was in the past <laughs> and then mixing it with the new. That's a good point. And, and also, actually, it's interesting seeing like some of the stuff people were building in the TIC81, like full 3D experiences, but like it, it appears pixelated. But I guess that's mm. because like even just our programming understanding has come a long way since like the yeah. 90s. People have like, developed all these systems for 3D shaders and stuff like that, which they can now like retrofit <laughs> back into the code for these older things. Yeah, like if you look at the design documents of the old Mario games, I don't think it was this with the first Mario game, but I think like at least Mario 2 or 3, the sprites, the characters are actually four uh, tiles, sprite tiles that have to be coordinated because you can't fit. It would be to do with things like... Um, you can't have so many colors in one section. So for example, in the right. first Mario, Bowser, when he looks black, like in the parts that are like black, it's actually transparent and it's using uh, the thing behind it because you can't have green, white, black, and orange so close to each other. So that's like yeah, a thing right. you just, now you don't even think about that, but the game still look nostalgic yeah. just through their own aesthetic, right? Uh, is there, do, do you think there's a reason why we, like crave minim minimalist games like why is that a trend you know what i mean like why are we going back and why are we trying to simplify games like what what is it for me i think it's almost like a reaction to like the f i want to say the flood of triple a games but it's not like there's not a flood of <laughs> retro games either um it's I, I i don't know about you guys i think part of it for me is because as I've gotten into making games and like the art of making games and the like just the technical and come to actually appreciate everything that goes into it, it's easier for me to kind of like appreciate what goes into these retro games. And it almost, I guess in some ways it's because it seems more a reach for me to like be able to make that kind of thing myself. And so it's like, I don't know, it's like a refined, <laughs> it's an appreciation of that refined <laughs> mechanic or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I almost don't have words for it. Yeah. No, I see that. Like, you, you see these things and you go... Like, if you play a, a minimal game or see minimal art, you're like, oh, I could do that. Like, it kind of in turn inspires you. Yeah. Whereas, I like, saw... what do you think of... Uh, so, like, a lot of, like, huge RPGs and stuff that have, like, thousands of side quests and every game that has a fishing game and, like, all these other <laughs> mini games and stuff like that. I mean, that in its own right, people will, like... For the other reason, which is, I've heard this said about K-pop music. It's like most, a lot of things less is more. With K-pop, more is more. <laughs> and so with like <laughs> a lot of these huge open world games, I guess more is more. <laughs> oh my god, Japanese games love their UI. It's nauseating. <laughs> it's so nauseating. But then you see, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess that 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 would definitely be a cultural thing because you kind of see, like their subway systems and their signs. They just got sign, sign, sign everywhere. Where like minimal here is i mean that's a that's a that's an interesting kind of thought of minimal to what minimal to our culture or minimal to our part of the because like is a japanese minimal game the same as a western minimal game well like zen minimalism came from japan as well japan, as like a philosophy yeah. which drives a lot of the minimal philosophy so well yeah even looking at it more generally of like minimalism and why people get to, you know attracted to it um I wonder if it has to do with just like so much distraction that we have and and just so much uh, we, we're stimulated so much with uh, 
with like games and like in AAA games, you've got like you mentioned side quests and this and that. There's just too much to yeah. do. That I wonder if it's like, are we just like searching for that really basic yeah. pared down can focus experience? On. Just yeah. focus, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense because, like, I tried to play Overwatch once and it was just like, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and I just, like, I could not focus on the game because there were just things in every direction that I was just looking around and then I'd just die every single time, right? Yeah. Fun, yeah. just overwhelm, well, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you got, like, um, Stardew Valley and then it has that game inside of it, um, Journey of the Prairie King, which is like a minimal game. And that's like some, in some moods, arguably more fun than Stardew yeah, Valley. Like Triple Triad in Final Fantasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that's crazy. Even, so even within the, within those games and the side quests, like I, I will die on this, this hill. I love a fishing game. <laughs> Everyone yeah. hates it. I love a fishing game. It's so good. Thank you, Susie. Um, yeah, even in the game, we want an escape from everything that's going on. That's a good point, because the, the mini game itself is the minimal game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it used to make me think of, um, well, it says me think, man versus food, right? He eats like, I don't know, three kilos of pancakes or something, and uh, he, he, he doesn't finish it. And it, like halfway through it, he orders... I forget what bacon or something like that. Yeah. And he's like, I can eat this. I'm just so sick of pancakes that I need yeah. something else. It doesn't yeah. Yeah. This. yeah. Yeah. You just get so sick at the taste of one thing. Speaking of fishing games, actually, uh, I was playing, was it Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening? I think they just re-released on Switch recently after, I think it was originally a Game Boy Color game from memory. Um, yeah. But so I never played the original, uh, this was a very good re-release. I have nothing to compare to, but I know a lot of re-releases, people feel uh, inferior to the originals. And like, do you think that is because they try tacking on all these modern graphics and like modern audio and other things? Does it lose what it had at its core? Or do you think a lot of uh, remade games are actually better experiences? That depends how you do it, eh? Like... Are you yeah. going to silent hill it and get rid of the fog? Because you can. Like, that's not a good <laughs> yeah. like, That's a good well, example. So that's a really right? interesting point. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because they, they, they removed the fog because of because it was a technical constraint. That's why they had it in the first place. But yeah. it actually added to the uh, atmosphere of the game. Yeah. Mm. And then once they removed it, people were, like, playing it. And they're like, well, it's not scary anymore. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. seeing the pyramid heads coming around the corner or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it it definitely and i think this um like if they remade the game you know bit for bit um just changed it aesthetically um that's a mechanic that's not an aesthetic thing but like you know links awakening if there were people complaining about that let's say then it, i would say it's probably like a nostalgia goggle of like because the first week's um links awakening is so uh gr- <sighs> I'm committing to the word. It's gross to look at. Like it's good yeah. at the time. Like it's full of so much stuff, but like, but that lets your imagination fill in the gaps and things like yeah. that. Um, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know how you could compare the two, you know, it's just beautiful. The new one. Yeah. Actually, speaking of uh, triple triad, <laughs> Susie, <laughs> um, and old games with limitations, 
I was, I was playing Final Fantasy VIII again recently, which is where Triple Triad comes from. Uh, and it was, to me, a reminder of, like, those pre-rendered backgrounds that you guys would have seen in, like, PS1 games mm-hmm. and that kind of era. Um, just, like, so for context for the audience, this is, like, at the time, because the PlayStation 1 couldn't handle all those 3D graphics and, like, real-time lighting all at the same time, they would essentially set up these elaborate 3D scenes and then export them to just, like, an image or, like, a, a movie in case of cutscenes. And then you would have, for the actual gameplay, you would have that as the background and you'd have these really simple polygon characters walking around on, at the front. Um, but I know, like, a lot of people kind of really like those pre-rendered backgrounds and in some cases talk about how it's like a lost art now that people aren't doing it anymore. Um, again, this is nostalgia talking as well, but one thing I did realize uh, when I was playing that the other day is that like the limitation of having to do that meant that they had to kind of pick the best camera angle and like composition for the these backgrounds in the scene. And it's kind of like through that limitation, you have to kind of use your actual like art fundamentals and stuff to make it a more effective experience. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I wonder now that we have more power in all directions, is our energy kind of like dispersed then? Do we not then spend you more energy yeah. getting these art fundamentals like as as good? It doesn't have that curation anymore because like out of necessity, you had to curate and be very purposeful with, with what you had as opposed yeah. to now mm-hmm. if you if there's no, say, technical constraint, you just, we can do everything and let's put everything because we can do it. Yep. Yeah, like there's no art in, in uh, file management. That's, you know, making sure your files are the right things and named right and having X amount of characters so it doesn't blow up the yeah. file. Throw it out to yeah. George Martin. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, you know what's um, it's a, a tangent, but a great technical limitation that this game just keeps spitting out more and more little facts. Mm. Ocarina of Time, right? The oh, skybox yeah. in that yeah. game is like um, nothing I've ever seen before. There's this Twitter um, this, uh, video that someone put up. Um, I'm looking at it now. Daniel Bamondi. Um, basically, the skybox is like, um, it's just a cube that's double the size of Link and it's like a meter away from him. And it culls out the foreground. So because it takes up the whole camera size, it looks like it's in front of you. It looks like it's behind everything. But that's why you can have this giant spanning texture and have it not pixelate because it's literally right in front of your face. It's just always locked to the camera. Mm. I had no idea. It's just amazing. Like these are things that like, you know, you just wouldn't, you don't, there's that creative thinking that level. That's the end. Yeah. All right. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy looking at it now. Because that's another one's like the sort of, pre- yeah, because that is a pre-rendered, I guess, you know, it's a texture. But that game had a lot of pre-rendered um, yeah, and backgrounds as well. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, When I see a lot of like modern games, it, I get the uh, Unreal Engine flavor. Like you can see it in a lot of games. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, I don't, I mean, uh, there's Unreal Engine's pretty limitless. Do you think one day, though, people are going to be like, oh, those good old days where everything was made in Unreal Engine and you had, like, that motion blur and <laughs> that was... And like, we saw the mega the skins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone has the same look. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. See, even even with all of the those assets and everything, like it still doesn't mean you know a great uh, game, right? Like mm. we can be given all the tools, but uh, mm. and put all the features in, but is it is it a great game? Mm. Yeah. I feel like there's technical constraints. You can write you know? the Dracula novel and uh, and yeah. never show a picture of what Dracula looked like. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's better because of it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we all now have our own interpretation yeah. of what a black silhouette with red dots for eyes looks like, and yeah. that is way more creepier than telling you what it than actually showing yeah. it. Turns out it was just Edward Cullen. <laughs> 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 no. <laughs> the the other the other aspect with uh, simple game design, do you feel like it makes gaming more accessible? I had seen a video on this, and I just want to ask the question. In in what in in old capacities or yeah, like in terms in of um, we mentioned like say Pac Man was easy. Um, yeah, Pac-Man was easy to play. Like, does it make it more accessible to to approach for like for new players? You know. Yeah, for player access, I think definitely. Like, we're working on this research project on tabletop RPGs, and like, what we're finding is like a lot of say we're looking at schools, and a lot of say like public and disadvantaged schools, they might not have the money for PCs that can play Unreal games, but like, it they can play TTRPGs because you just need a book and some pen and paper. So I think in any case, when you're stripping mm -hmm. back what player access technology is, you're always going to increase accessibility of your player base, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, probably for a game designer as well of being like, oh, that's all a game is? Like, I could do that. Like, getting you into making games. Yeah, like the, um, the A to B game that I talk about, we do in first year game design where the goal is to get to the second door of the room from the start. And everybody has to have a go at designing a game that gets you there. Like all you're doing is adding yeah. obstacles or changing the rules, right? Uh, like golf, right? It's just get the ball in the yeah. hole. But what are you adding to it to make that a game? It's the challenges, the things you put in the way. Can everyone? Yeah. I, that's very timely because just just can everyone look at what I put in the uh, Riverside chat earlier? It was a game on play date. Oh, spoilers! Telling everyone what we use. <laughs> Oh, what the! <laughs> Just because oh, you didn't golf, yeah. Like here's here's some obstacles of golf. Um, yeah, it's an executive executive golf game made for the play date, and it's literally I think you play golf in a in an office. But uh, <laughs> look at those photos. Just, That's great. <laughs> yeah, just taking the rules of golf and uh, putting it in an office. In Executive Golf DX, live the ultimate dream of corporate advancement by golfing your way to the top of a procedurally generated office building. <laughs> oh, wow. It's procedurally generated as well. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, that's two huge things at the moment, golf games and procedurally generated <laughs> games. Smash them up. Is that because is that yeah. of, uh, was it Golf Story or whatever that RPG was? It's called Lee Cavalera's uh, Putting Challenge, John. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, but um, <laughs> my mistake. Even uh, give it a listen as well. I'm just I was just listening to the uh, to the soundtrack of the executive golf game, and it's actually really good. Lo-fi beats for marketing, big ticket upstairs, paper jam. <laughs> <laughs> These are the name of the tracks. These are the track names. Yes. 
so good. That's so funny. But yeah, there is a, there is a golf. Uh, one of the someone at GCAP had a golf game. What was that one? Uh, is it golf golf story? Can't remember what it was called. Golf. Uh, yeah. So golf story is on Switch. Uh, I haven't played it, but I'm pretty sure it's like an RPG where one of the main mechanics is like hitting a golf ball with a golf club. But <laughs> I think I, from the review I saw, if this is correct, it's like golf doesn't actually have that much to do with the rest of the game. It's just like the core mechanic and they've somehow just like shoehorned it in to like this RPG world. <laughs> yeah. Costa, uh, are you talking about the one that from that speaker? Yeah, the speaker, it, yeah. What golf games do you Yeah, have? yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like this. It does look like this. It, I don't think that he released that, did he? No, he, he was, did. He released it. Well, on, his brother released it. He released it. Like on, he did half of it? On Steam, yeah. i got to find out what that game was. It was, it was yeah, like he was a, trying to make like 50 games in a year or something like that. Um, oh, okay. That was actually an interesting approach because he, he, he's a, I think he's a university researcher and um, he was saying that he does his games on the side and just the, that whole talk was about the process of uh, making a game on the side and kind of paring it down and making it simple to to make. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the game that he made was a, a golf, uh, I think an RPG game. Let me have a look. Yeah, he was like saying if um, if game design isn't your job, don't make it your job. Like treat it like uh. a, you know, try and have a social life. Work on a laptop so you can do it in yeah. the living room. Yeah, and that was really Don't torture cool. yourself with it. That's, really that's cool. cool. I've advice. never heard that. If it's not your job, don't make it your job. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's a, it, that's a very, uh, I, I didn't do it justice for how he said it, but that was more or less what you take away from it. Like, yeah. Should be a part of your life, not your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called Brendan Keogh. Cause that's, that's the name. Brendan Keogh's putting oh. challenge on steam. Oh, <laughs> and it's a, it's so an it's open world then. golf game. Yeah. It's a what, sorry? Open world, I think, golf game. But yeah, that was an interesting one of, of like the process of uh, making a game and kind of being really, really uh, working with your within your limitations, which was mm. cool. Yeah. There was someone that was like early in the indie game scene. I can't remember the name. Susie, hopefully you'll remember. Uh, but they made a number of real minimal games. One is where you're like, I can't remember if you're a square or like just a simple character, but the whole thing is you you can only walk right on the screen and you go through life, like your character slowly ages um, and like you meet a partner and then eventually I think you die. Yeah, I um, this. And he was like one of the first big pioneers of the indie movement. And I remember listening to a talk from him and he was talking about how like now he's actually making bigger games um, and one was like an MMO or something. Um, but he actually found he he had to limit himself to like four hours a day because he found that was his like optimum creativity. And then after that point, he just started like using Reddit <laughs> and like not actually making any progress. But that was kind of like a constraint in a way. Yeah. No, I was trying to Google, trying to find that game. I, can't I remember find it. that game. I don't remember who it was, but it was like really, really sad. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you just get really, really attached, and then like you'd be crying at the end. Like, yeah, yeah. She couldn't imagine that it would happen, but it did. 
Because you had like a wife yeah. or a partner and then you had kids and then like they moved out and they went to college and like all this stuff. Like, and you're like, I just lived the whole um, life in 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm never getting them back. <laughs> oh Which is God. cool because that's clearly what, you know, it was trying to communicate that idea that like your life is, is valuable and quick and all that. But Yeah. I'm having an ex- existential crisis. <laughs> I've gone quiet. About this life game. Have you yeah. played? Yeah. And, and loneliness. You're going to play those now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. That's that, that hard, that one. Yeah. Ugh. Within like one I mean, minute of playing, you're like, you just get that game. Within like, yeah. we haven't We haven't talked about it, but like quickly, I just wanted to mention um, the one-page RPGs. So it's like a huge subset of like tabletop RPGs, like this genre called one page RPGs. And they're like really, really short ones. So like, you know, like really like they can have a GM or they can be like ones that you can play with out of GM, but they have like jams for one page RPG jams. And there's like this guy named Grant Howlett who makes, um, have you heard of Honey Heist? So it's probably like the most famous one maybe, but it's like um, a game where you're a bear at a honey con and you're just trying to get the honey, <laughs> but you wear a hat, yeah, right. you're wearing a hat <laughs> and your hat gives you different abilities, things, I think. Anyway, it, it's really, really fun. Um, but it's just one page. So like, it's got like rules, um, and it's got like your character stats. So make your character, what are your, this thing, what are you, that thing? And everything is contained in that. And then you and like all of your players just sit through and talk about how your bear is trying to get the honey at the highest. And that's the whole game. Um, but it's awesome. Well. Like everybody's done it. Um, there's a critical role where they just play Honey Hunt. Oh, really? Yeah, like it's awesome. really cool. Um, but like that one-page RPG stuff, that really is like kind of the I guess paper version of stripping that game back to those really cool mechanics and then just giving enough yeah. for starting that that narrative and that play. Yeah. When you say I'm totally out of this world, if you say when you say one page. Is that like the tile set doesn't go in more than a page? Are you saying the rules only take up a page? The rules only take up a page. Um, So it's usually like for pen and paper and there's just literally one page of rules that you've got, you print out and you put on the table what your GM has and that's it. Mm. So anyone can Yeah, and like usually they're free, open source, and you can write your own narrative for them and do anything. How long is like how many pages is like a typical? uh, Like a Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> More pages than I've ever read, probably. <laughs> that yay thick. <laughs> oh, wow. So, like, probably, like, if we look at the biggest RPGs, like Dungeons & Dragons, you know, um, Cooler Cthulhu, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, The wow. Blades in the Dark, right? <laughs> like, they're all pretty big novels. Like. Yeah, they're novels. They're not pages. Yeah, yeah. They're- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, the fact that you have to read a novel before you can play the game. Yeah, no. that's a, uh, I think that's the opposite of accessible. Yeah, see, yeah, and then one page is you go, okay, cool, I've never played a TTRPG before, I'm keen. All right, yeah. sick. What kind of bear are you? What hat are you wearing? Let's go. <laughs> so when you said a honey heist, I thought this was another Winnie the Pooh ripoff, now that that's public domain. <laughs> I wonder if there is one. <laughs> It's just that movie Inside Man, but everyone's Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> but Honey Heist was one of um, that guy, the designer Grant Howe. He does like um, 
he was doing write a one page RPG every day. And that was just one of his days, one of the days he wrote Honey Heist. Yeah. Mm. That's pretty cool. Do you, you guys think that uh, minimal games, like we, we talk about them and like we love them, they're great. Do you think they will be as commercially successful as AAA games? Or do you think there really is something commercially successful about having big spectacle? I, I'd call like I, an example that I would give is like uh, Angry Birds. That's a pretty simple game. Yeah, um, that's a good point. That was a huge hit when it came out and like basically built that entire company, you know, to, to what it was. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Company being one guy in what was it uh, Vietnam? No, no, Angry Birds. No, you, you're was thinking the... of uh, Flappy Bird. Oh, I heard Flappy Bird. Hey, that that counts. Flappy that does count. Right? That does also count. <laughs> Flappy Bird is also yeah. Angry Birds is uh Rovio. Is it Rovio? I think it was. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I mean, I, so. I, I think I think minimalistic games can definitely be commercially as commercially viable. Uh, yeah. if, he took your game and minimized it. If, yeah, he did. If anything, um, <laughs> they they might be more successful because of the the lower en- entry uh, barrier, you know, to, with accessibility and that kind of stuff. Mm. Well, interestingly, both of those are mobile games as well, and mm. that probably plays into mm. it. Uh, that it yeah, is literally more accessible because more people just have phones. <laughs> yeah. And that's and- that's another constraint, right? Like that's added to the to the mix there to. Um, have to make the game a lot simpler. Yeah. Even even like think about that marketing and exposure of an indie game is a constraint. I remember doing this like uh where I used to work, you know, there was a whole bunch of different companies working in there and one of the companies working in there worked in cancer research and they were telling me somebody who was there was telling me how much it costs to do a um a trial of, you know, a medicine for cancer research, which is what the majority of the, when you donate to uh, cancer charities, a lot of it tries to go there because it costs millions of dollars. I can't remember how much of either of these numbers, but basically the marketing for um, like a, a your standard Call of Duty or Activision game, I can't remember what it is, but it's like, Ten, like you could the amount of cancer research you could conduct you know with it and that's that's not even building the game that's just marketing the game because they spend like i can't remember it's somewhere between like 50 and 300 million dollars which i know is a huge number difference but in that ballpark just to market the game that's not making the game that is just marketing the game so then yeah. when you hear as costa said these you know whatever bird games flappy bird angry bird <laughs> how it can be a small team and just take over the world. Like then you say, okay, um, exposure is a constraint. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, slight tangent, but when you said bird games, um, and I'm going to say this very carefully because I know it's a hot topic at the moment, but Twitter (laughs) is kind of minimal Facebook (laughs) if you think about it (laughs) with the like constraints of like character limits and stuff like that and like that was very effective for some things (laughs) a lot of things (laughs) different people have different opinions but I guess like do Mm. do you think this like minimalism I guess it works not only in like art and those kind of creations but all kinds of those are like I feel like those are um, 
constraints that uh, increase uh, like virality, how virals, like that you have to make something really controversial or you have to make something really, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, something that will make a good viral. And that's that's probably what, for Twitter, like that's a, um, the, the more viral something is, the more views it has, the more people got engage with it the more like the more controversial it is the more people engage with it there's more the more users the more advertisers and and it just snowballs that's like the fundamental of of twitter i think um is that virality um with yeah. games i guess it's like i don't know it's an interesting one like even f- like say flappy bird that was such a simple simple um game and it exploded and uh, i don't know uh, it, it would be interesting to unpack that and like why uh, speaking of exploded, we just lost Costa. Yeah, did you lose me? Why? Why would that? Uh, why was that the case? Interesting. Yeah, right. it, it literally you went something about Flappy Bird, silence, and then you were like, "And see why that's the case." I'm like, "What's the case?" Fill in the blank. You know what's funny is I actually didn't lose Costa at all there. So oh yeah, just- I, I, I was I, I was I saw John. Yeah, basically unpacking um, why. Flappy Birds was became viral and and like oh, why I'm sorry, Costa, you can't use the word unpacking when talking about a different game. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that that word's now. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unraveling. Yeah, unraveling. <laughs> yeah, um, you know it's interesting. Uh, I I saw something recently which talking about uh, systems and like complex systems. This will come back to games, I promise. Um, so, like, games are systems, right? Um, if we talk about complex systems, they're generally, like, open-ended or, like, networks. Or, um, there is a game someone made called just the Game of Life, and they, they made it... Originally, it started mm. off with just pencil and paper, and you have, like, graph paper, and you color in a square, and then basically any of those squares is, like, meant to be a life form. I think they call it a cell- cellular automata. I can't say the word. Um and then there's rules where, like, every turn, if there is a square filled in, then it'll do something to the squares next to it. And that's basically this life form reproducing. And if there's, like, I can't remember the rules, but it's, like, if there's two squares or three squares next to each other, the one in the middle will die and it disappears. And then, you know, uh, if there's two, then they'll reproduce. There's, like, just these very simple rules. But what they found is because it's, like, open-ended, um you actually can't predict what's going to happen like on X number turn. It's like pretty much impossible to actually predict that stuff without running mm-hmm. the game itself. Whereas like most closed systems, you can actually mathematically model them and do that kind of thing. Um, and this these kind of systems are the same as like uh, traffic and just like general society. And it's one reason why, like your hard scientists, uh, hard sciences kind of break down when they're trying to deal with like society and that kind of thing. But what they found is that while you can't control these complex systems, the key to actually influencing them is by changing the starting rules. Um, that minor, those like minor little, uh, yeah, rules. So um, can't think of another game example apart from the game of life, but. Um, I find that interesting going back to kind of minimalism and like you're making these kind of core mechanics, these core rules, how like those slight changes in a rule can have like huge dramatic differences 
on how people end up playing it. Mm. Yeah, that I, I can never get my head around the game of life. Yeah. Um, I've seen some cool animations that people have done because they do that. They set it up in a way at the start, like these birds flying and stuff like that. Because mm. you have them set up in a certain way that they'll interact with each other at a certain point and make this animation. Mm. <laughs> oh, you played the animated version. That's... Uh... That must be the remake. <laughs> <laughs> it was better in 2D. Yeah. yeah. Um, I guess closing off as well is um, a little bit of uh, promo for Adelaide. There's a game jam coming up mm. and um, run by Sean Mansell, which we promoted last time he ran it, which was the slam jam. But this one's the tiny slam jam. So mm. it's got its own constraints of two days. Two, two, yeah, a weekend. But um, along with just being a plug, I think it feeds into this as well of the constraints of having the um, uh, Sean's added these modifiers into it. I can't remember. I think it's called the modifiers. Um, yeah. But basically, being like you know, scuffed controls. So um, uh, you change the way that the you know you put the controls meant for one game inside of this game. You know, so if you've got um, you know, uh, a racing game instead of using Wasad or a joystick, maybe you just scroll wheel on your mouse. Um, and then there's, you can't move the screen around like Pac-Man. Um, it's, it's just the one screen or, you know, mm. what else is there? Um, escort mission kind of things. So like game jams are definitely, you know, a good breeding ground for these, um, minimalist ideas. Mm. Some of the other themes with that, uh, the slam jam is mm. maximum eight direction digital movement input, maximum six mm. action buttons, gameplay in four by three aspect ratio. That's cool. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Any that's happening weekend. this weekend. If you're listening to this episode, hopefully <laughs> yeah. it's come out. It's in the next couple of days. So yeah, it's definitely worth looking into that. That's it. Saturday, uh, Friday, twenty fifth to Sunday, the twenty seventh, November, twenty twenty two. Yeah. All right. We need a question for our audience based on this. What's the most minimal game? Nah, because that that'll stop at a point. The most. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tell us about your favorite game yeah. using one word. <laughs> favorite. Ooh. Favorite minimal game, and yeah, summarize it using one word. And you're not allowed to just use the name of the game. Yeah. Oh, Karina, you'll never guess it. <laughs> yeah, no, right. Loneliness. <laughs> <laughs> you're both banned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks uh, for joining us today, guys. Um, you guys have a good fortnight. And we'll see you next time in the cafe. Catch you later. See you later. Yeah. hosted in Adelaide, South Australia. If you know of anything happening or would like to reach out to us or have a chat, you can find us on Twitter at LiveBooleans or by emailing us at hello at LiveBooleans.com.